This episode is brought to you by Navy Federal Credit Union. At Navy Federal, it's been the mission to help the military community for over 90 years. And not just help them, but do everything to make sure they not only grow, but flourish. That's why Navy Federal Credit Union has all kinds of great savings and investment options, like share certificates with sky-high rates. So don't hesitate. Start growing your finances today with a variety of savings and investment options. Navy Federal Credit Union. Our members are the mission. Savings products insured by NCUA. Investment products are not insured. Not obligations of Navy Federal and may lose value. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. Just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Picasso knows your vacation home is your best home. It's the place that brings family and friends together. It's where you're the best version of yourself. Picasso makes it easy to co-own a luxury vacation home in amazing locations. Listings start at 200K for one-eighth ownership. Picasso does all the work for you. Luxury furnishings, maintenance, billing, scheduling, and more. And you can resell on Picasso's marketplace anytime, historically for a 10% gain. Visit Picasso to see thousands of listings. That's P-A-C-A-S-O dot com. Oh, boy. That was, that was not my best intro. I'm Robert <laughs> Evans. This is Behind the Bastards. We talk about bad people, and my introductions run the gamut from the sublimely brilliant to just going... Aah! And this was the latter, and I apologize. My guest today is Mr. Vic Berger. Hey, how you doing, Robert? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm all right. You know, the best I can be uh, during a pandemic, I guess. Now, Vic, I don't know how you describe what you do. I would describe you as a, a horror movie director who works exclusively in the medium of things other people have filmed. <laughs> yeah, I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. I mean, I'm working with the, uh, the yeah. most depressing and uh, <laughs> like yeah. upsetting footage. But uh, yeah, I definitely lean into the horror aspect of it. But I try to let people watch it and then leave with a little bit of uh, humor to it. Maybe maybe they'll be able to laugh at it in a way. And you, you have... Uh, among your your many focuses, uh, I, I came aware of you from Twitter, uh, mm-hmm. but you, you post your stuff on the on the the YouTubes as the right. kids call it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. You have you have a real fascination with a fella named Jim Baker. Oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> definitely. Well, if you were if you were gonna like if you were just gonna like summarize the what you know of Jim Baker for our audience mm-hmm. rolling into this, how would you describe the man? Uh, he's a food salesman. That's uh, <laughs> that's yeah. that's what he does. And then he uh, now and then mentions uh, God or uh, Trump stuff like that. But uh, first and foremost, I think he's a he's a food salesman, a, a prepper. 
Um, that's what he is today. But uh, he is, uh, I guess he was pretty groundbreaking in the uh, 50s and 60s as uh, becoming one of the first televangelists. Yeah, yeah, that's a good, that's a good uh, sh- short summary of the career of Jim Baker. But there's a lot of details that I, I, I think you don't know. But before we get into this, because I, I'm very excited for you to learn some of this, because it's it's all horrifying. His whole life is a nightmare. Um, what do you... What is what stands out about Jim Baker to you? Like, what is it that makes him such a focus of your own work? Oh, he's you know he's pretty charismatic, and he always has a a, a wife or a woman yeah, with him a, who has like he has a type. You know, he's a definite type oh, that yes. he likes, <laughs> yeah. and and usually that uh, means that uh, she's highly medicated or uh, you know she's oh, on yeah, something yeah. doped uh, up to fucking back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. Uh, <laughs> But but seems like she like the wife worships him, you know, just loves everything about him and wants to help him out and you know sell these buckets or get you know whatever the grift is selling hotel rooms or you know whatever it is along the way. Um, but he's uh, he's just interesting and and uh, I don't know, I just I'm just fascinated with with his whole entire life. Yeah, uh, I too am fascinated by his life, and I guess Vic, we should just we should just roll into the story because there's sure. a lot of there's a lot of Baker uh, yeah. to cover here. So James Orson Baker was born on January second, nineteen forty. He was the youngest of four children by Raleigh and Fernia uh, Baker in Muskegon, a city in Michigan that's apparently located on some big fancy lake. If you can believe such a thing, <laughs> I've never heard of it before, but. That's what they say. Big lakes up in Michigan, apparently. Uh So uh, (laughs) Jim was born premature, uh, and he spent the first days of his life on an incubator at the hospital while his mom and dad went home. His foot was burned by the device's heating element, and so he wound up having to stay there significantly longer than usual. (laughs) So, yeah, he wasn't great at being born. Um, (laughs) Not the best at, at coming into the world. Yeah, um, and and unfortunately, his parents were also really bad at nurturing. Um, in his 1976 autobiography, Move That Mountain, which is like the first of so many autobiographies. This guy's <laughs> written way more than a person should. Right. Uh, Jim describes how, quote, mom and dad considered me so fragile that they didn't allow my brothers and sisters to even breathe on me. As a result, during his childhood, he never experienced the sensation of my family member's touch. Wow. So that's a, yeah, that's, that's a, bummer. a huge uh, aspect there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it kind of fucks you up not getting. Yeah, touched. like you, you start to feel bad for him already. Mm-hmm. What? <laughs> yeah, no, you're you're going to this kid's childhood uh-huh. is fucking rough. <laughs> <laughs> so it was understandable that Baker's parents would be extra worried for their little boy, um, but they seem to have gone beyond mere concern. His stern Dutch family, as he later described them, let caution for their son's health lead to a complete lack of physical contact um, and even emotional warmth. His father once washed his mouth out with palmolive soap for saying, gee whiz. So like, he's no one touches him. And there's I'll say some unreasonable standards. Like, (laughs) gee whiz was a curse word at the Baker home. (laughs) Oh, yeah. He said the GW word. (laughs) 
so his mom was also a giant clean freak and it was just it it seems like it it I mean, we're going to talk a lot, actually, about his childhood. It all was terrible. So there's echoes of this upbringing in the modern Jim Baker. I'm not going to get into a super long spiel about how a lack of touch and infancy damages children. Now that we're all quarantined, I think people <laughs> probably probably more or less get that. Uh, but I will say that, like, if you look at orphanages back in the day, like the Dickensian ones, where they were actually just, like, having kids be alone in a giant room, uh, the death rate was 30 to 40%. And modern researchers think that a huge amount of that was not, like, disease or anything. It was the fact that no one was touching these kids. There was, there was no, like, physical contact. Um, Jeez, because they've observed... Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. When you deprive infants of touch, uh, they stop growing, and they can even die if they don't receive sufficient physical stimulation. It's like an evolutionary thing, right? Like, no right. sense in having the baby exist if there's no mom or dad around to take care of it. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a bummer. And uh, even when their nutritional needs are met, children who are deprived of touch in this way tend to grow up unusually small, and they tend to score poorly on tests and have massively elevated levels of stress hormones. And adult Jim Baker describes himself as as a child as slow, small, and not particularly bright. Um, hmm. Like, this is how he describes himself. And, and right. whether or not, yeah, it's a bummer. He still um, does have the uh, the boyish qualities, though. You know, he is he's is a tiny little guy, and he's got yep. the got the kid face there. Yeah. You know? Yes, yes, he does. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and it, whether or not, like, I don't know, some of that may be him exaggerating it in his own head, but this is how he sees himself, um, and that's important. Right. And also so, making himself out to be the victim too. That's kind of you know that's, that's a big yeah, part of it. <laughs> that is a big part of it, but. <laughs> Oh, man, the part we're getting to is such a bummer, dude. But before we get into that, um, (laughs) his father, Raleigh, was a machinist at a piston ring plant. And um, Jim later wrote that his dad, quote, made a decent living, but I thought we lived in poverty. Uh, And this is like a factor in his upbringing, too, is he was certain that he and his family were dirt poor. And they really were not. They were pretty comfortably middle class. But um, this, like, longing for more money than he has is a very early thing for Jim Baker. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so there was something weird uh, with his mom and dad's relationship, but the what is not clear. A family friend described that, despite many visits to the house, she never heard Jim's mom say more than 10 words in all the years I knew them. So mm. something mm. something's going on there. Yes, yeah, something yeah. is happening. Yeah, not probably not great. No. Uh, yeah, so it's... It's interesting that Jim describes himself as feeling as if he was impoverished as a kid. All of the evidence suggests that his family were were full beneficiaries of the post-war U.S. economy, in which a family of four could wind up owning a house by accident. Uh, Raleigh Baker worked at the same company for 42 and a half years. Um, He bought used Cadillacs and used televisions, but the family never really wanted. When Jim was 15, they moved into an actual mansion with a grand piano in the living room because it was just really fucking easy to... Make a life for yourself in 1955 wow. <laughs> if you were a white guy. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Not a hard time. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, his first home, though, the home of his childhood was a boxy cement block house that was painted a hideous shade of orange. And Jim would later recall that he felt a deep seated feeling of inferiority as a result of the fact that he had an ugly house. So, mm. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, we're seeing some things come we're together. S- here. Yeah, yeah. Planting the seeds. 
So the Baker family were Pentecostal Christians. Uh, Jim's grandfather, Joe, helped to found the Central Assembly of God, a very hardcore Pentecostal church. We're going to talk a little bit more about Pentecostals later. Um, about 4.5% of Americans today are Pentecostal, and I, I don't think most foreigners or like city folks really know mm. a whole lot about the Pentecostal <laughs> church. But the short th- description I would give is that whenever you hear something weird about American Christians like getting bitten by snakes to prove their faith or whatever right. those are pentecostals <laughs> <laughs> there's a, a, a joke in the early simpsons where mo is like talking about his religion he's i, I something like i've uh i've been a snake handler since the day i was born or something like that um and that's that's what that is yeah right, snake okay. handlers yeah um <laughs> Yeah, uh, uh, yeah. So one of my sources for this episode was the exhaustively written book PTL: The Rise and Fall of Jim and Tammy Faye Baker's Evangelical Empire by John mm-hmm. Wigger. Um, his last name is Wigger. Yes, it's <laughs> distracting, uh, yeah. but it's a good book, and it notes of Jim's religious upbringing. Quote: The church often failed to provide the comfort that Baker lacked at home. As a child, he was terrified by a three-foot-tall picture of a human eye that hung on the wall of his Sunday school room as he and the other children sang, His eye is watching you, you, you. Oh, my God. He said that it left him with the impression that the big eye was always looking, and he would get you if you were ever bad. Very interesting. Oh, my God. Not only did Pentecostals not go to the movies, they were not supposed to dance, bowl, play cards, shoot pool, or listen to rock and roll. Um, Another cultural touchstone for Pentecostals is the movie with Kevin Bacon about the town that doesn't dance. That's Pentecostals. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, John Lithgow. The movie with Kevin Bacon where he doesn't dance. (laughs) Well, no, he dances, but the town yeah. doesn't. Yeah. Until they yeah, learn I went right to Flashdance. Yeah, you said Footloose, was fla- it? Yeah. yeah. It's not the Footloose movie. No, it is. It is oh, footloose. it is a Footloose. Oh, that yeah, is the one? Yeah, it's Footloose. Oh, God, I've never yeah, seen Footloose. I've got to cut loose I'm just footloose. impressed with Robert yeah. actually oh, knowing okay. something that is oh, uh, no. <laughs> movie-related. Oh, you gotta oh, watch Footloose. Gotta it, like, it, it. It, it, it is a great movie. I mean, you gotta cut loose. Yeah. Watch Foot Loose, sorry. <laughs> One of the two Kevin Bacon movies that are necessary pieces of culture. What's the um, second one? Trimmers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Duh. Oh, Obviously. Yeah. Obviously, Trimmers. I mean, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the word Pentecostal comes from an event recorded in the Book of Acts, which is one of the you know lamer books of the bible after christ's resurrection he came back to his followers as a zombie and was all like the holy ghost is going to roll up on you and he's going to fill you with lots of power and then later as the disciples were gathered for a feast in jerusalem uh quote suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind and it filled all in the house where they were sitting and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as a fire and it sat upon each of them and they were all filled with the holy ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance so that's in every Christian's Bible, and most of them it's just like, yeah, it's just a thing that happened in the Bible, right? Like, there's a bunch of moments in the Bible where, like, there's some dudes that are friends of a Jesus or a prophet, and God comes in and he does some shit. Uh, it's just a thing that happened. But for the Pentecostals, that is, like, the core of some really critical theological doings. Um, okay. Starting in Los Angeles in 1906, that's where Pentecostalism began, um, th- members of the church 
came to the belief that they could seek out this holy fire. And basically, they believed that the Holy Spirit could fill them up in this way at any time. So there's that bit in the Bible where it talks about like they started speaking in other tongues as if the Spirit gave them utterance. That's speaking in tongues. Like when you see Christians mm-hmm. like going ecstatic and jumping around and like shrieking in, in fake nonsense language, yes. that's speaking in tongues. This is where that comes from. Um, okay. And it's a big part of the Pentecostal faith. And it's really it's really neat because they've actually done some scientific studies on people speaking in tongues. The claim is that you're basically talking in holy language that God throws into your head or right. whatever. Um, they find that when because there's there's Pentecostals all around the world now who you know are non-native English speakers or whatever. They all have different you know Pentecostals who whose native language is different. Um, whenever people speak in tongues, they find that the things that they're saying in tongues abide by the basic speech patterns of their native language, uh, um, yeah. which suggests that, yeah, every, they're making it it's up. Just, you it's know? gibberish. Yeah, it's gibberish. gibberish. Yeah. Did you see the, when uh, there's this, I don't know what the name of the preacher is, but he was speaking in tongues. And then as he's speaking in tongues, he just starts checking his phone and scrolling through his Facebook feed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then it's just, yeah, just like, you know, like, like, yeah. you know. <laughs> I love shit like that. I had a really fun, I was at the, um, I was at this fucking big old celebration for uh, Shiva in when I was in India, somewhere in like rural Rajasthan. And we're at like this big fucking festival and there's this like 30 foot statue of the God and everything. And there's this monk sitting in front of the statue of the God, like reading um, I don't know, it's I chants or hymns or whatever from like a big book. But in the middle of the book, he has his phone. And as he, he's <laughs> chanting, he's like scrolling through his text messages and stuff. And like, yeah, I love shit uh, like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, um, yeah, yeah. So that's that's what Pentecostalism is. Um, and I, I think that when your church hates fun as much as the Pentecostal church does, you kind of need something like speaking in tongues. You don't have a whole mm-hmm. lot else. Right. So, um, <laughs> thankfully for Jim, his dad was not as strict um, as they were supposed to be. He let the family watch television, and he took them to the movies. Jim's favorite show as a boy was I Love Lucy. Uh, mm. As an adolescent, he took an even more casual attitude towards his faith restrictions. At his church, children were seated far away and out of sight from their parents, so Jim and his friends would sneak out during the service and hang out at the local soda fountain. There they would listen to forbidden music before sneaking back to retake their seats. Fats Domino was uh, a favorite of theirs, which doesn't really have any bearing on anything, but I love the name Fats Domino. Right, right. It's just... (laughs) Unbelievably good name. Love him. Yeah. So when Jim was 11, he met a... uh, Yeah, sorry. This is... I I shouldn't... This is a a bummer. When Jim was 11, he met a young man from his church, an adult in his 20s or 30s, who introduced himself as Russell. Russell approached Jim one Saturday after service and asked if he wanted to have a hamburger at a nearby drive-in. Now, today... If a stranger walks up to a kid and says, you want to leave your f- parents behind and go get a hamburger? Like, that's a it's a red flag. You know, I'm not great at raising kids, uh, <laughs> but that that that's a that's a that's a red flag. But this is the early 1950s. People trusted each other. And mm-hmm. his parents were like, sure, go off with the stranger, boy. It's fine. <laughs> and and he did. Uh, so, again, and this is going to seem really weird that a fucking 11-year-old boy would go off with this guy in his 20s or 30s to get a hamburger, but Jim was, again, starved for attention. He later Mm -hmm. wrote that he was, quote, odd that this adult would want me. He gave me all Mm -hmm. his undivided attention. I felt wonderfully special. Um, So, yeah, 
After burgers, Russell drove off with Jim down a deserted dirt road and stopped. He unzipped Jim's jeans and started to fondle him. Um, oh, while he was no. being molested, Jim felt, quote, almost proud that Russell would give me so much attention. I thought, so this must be what having a buddy is all about. This must be what big guys do. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, this uh, got a little darker than I thought it would be at this point. <laughs> yeah, this is not a good. This is not no. a good one. No, it's a bummer. <laughs> oh, yeah, it really is. Mm-hmm. So, and it's like heartbreakingly, like you could, it it all completely scans. Like, oh yeah, this kid is just so desperate for attention. Yeah, mm-hmm. he doesn't. Yeah. Um, so Jim didn't realize anything was really wrong at first, and Russell became a frequent figure in his life, hanging out with the family occasionally and then taking Jim off to isolated construction sites or other places where he could park the car, um, hiring him to mow his lawn so that he could, like, grab him in the middle of chores and molest him. And Jim <sighs> never, like, fought this. Like, he at the time, he, 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 he went along with it. And he later wrote, quote, I allowed Russell to do whatever he wanted to do to me, and I tried to comply with all his requests because he lavished attention and caring touches on me. Um, yeah. Jeez. He's, what, 15, 16, you said? No, that? he's 11 when this or starts. Or 11? There. Oh, God. Yeah, this goes on for a few years. Mm. Yeah, he's, he's very... Uh, uh, he is the victim of a lot of abuse in this mm-hmm. period. Um, and it is the kind of abuse where at the time it's probably the most positive relationship in his life, which is mm-hmm. further of a head fuck. It's a lot to deal with as an 11 year old. Yeah. Uh, eventually Russell abandoned him, uh, presumably because he got too old and Russell was, you know, a pedophile. Um, and the whole situation was just a huge mind fuck for young Jim, as you can imagine. He never told anyone about it. Um, you know, I mean, obviously he did later, but like as a kid, he didn't tell anybody. Um, and yeah, like he, he just didn't talk about it for decades. His parents had raised a child that wasn't emotionally connected enough with himself to ask for a hug, like let alone confess to years of sexual abuse. Mm. Uh, quote, I could keep up appearances. I could maintain a public persona even when I was falling apart internally. Uh, Jim began to nurse complicated and confusing homosexual feelings, which he still has never come to terms with, but which he always found deeply shameful. Uh, He was, in short, a boy who was done very wrong by the adults in his life and by the society around him. Um, So, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's a real bummer. Yeah. Yeah. Poor fella. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's that's one of the rougher childhoods I've come across in all this. Yeah. I mean, jeez. Yeah. So Jim's youth wasn't all trauma, though. When he was 15, the family moved to a much nicer house and neighborhood, and Jim did bloom somewhat in high school. He had an English teacher who really saw promise in him despite his middling grades and encouraged Jim's creativity. And it turned out that Jim Baker had some incredible instinctive talent for showmanship. Given the opportunity to DJ at a photography club dance, he developed a love for spinning records. And I I don't know what it meant to be a good DJ in the (laughs) mid-50s. God, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, I desperately (laughs) want to listen to fucking... 15 year old Jim right. Baker drops yeah, some fucking up all beats. these fats domino records <laughs> yeah, hell yeah man um, but he was apparently good at it this is kind of what he what he was kind of a loner but then he le- starts DJing for parties and he starts getting invited places and it kind of like 
it, it makes him into a kind of popular kid. Yeah, so this cool is now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. He's cool now. He's the a fucking DJ. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so that's pretty sweet. Yeah. Um, in 1956, he developed his first show. It was a 15 act vaudeville style reality show meant as a mm. fundraiser for the school newspaper. Uh, the show featured actual professional performances from a Miss Elvis Presley, uh, which I'm guessing is some sort of celebrity impersonator. And this, this person had been on the Steve Allen show, which was a mm-hmm. popular TV show at the time. Sure. Uh, there was a mambo trio. There were Charleston dancers. The whole nine yards. It was like a big. It wasn't just like he wasn't just like throwing together like a little skit before a thing. This was like mm-hmm. a, a huge production, um, and it turned out popular enough that it became a regular event at the school. And Jim would manage it and organize it for the next couple of years while he was in high school. Um, the nineteen fifty seven show was even bigger with twenty five acts. It was also popular. Jim claims that four hundred of his classmates showed up at his house for a party. Um, and Jim later recalled something about this period of time that when I read it, I can only hear it in Nathan Fielder's voice. Um, <laughs> I was in the limelight completely, the center of attention. I was obsessed with popularity and would do almost anything to get it. Man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All of this is ju- just scans so disastrously. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So his teacher, William Harrison, backs up this image of high school era Jim. Uh, Quote, Jim loved the limelight. I have often thought, had I been a promoter, I could have turned that boy into a rock star. Um, And it does kind of sound like he had that sort of potential, um, or at Mm -hmm. least the ability he could have been like, you know, if this kid, um, if this kid embraces the kind of complicated uh, uh, emotional and and, uh, uh, sexual feelings and stuff that he's, he's, uh, struggling with and embraces the artistic side of himself. He could have mm-hmm. rolled to New York and had a great career yeah. in the theater or something. I mean, all That's, his like monologues are like very theatrical. There's yeah. like, you know, they build and they, yeah. you know, they, yeah, they, he, scare he, you. <laughs> like, he, yeah. he, he, he definitely could have succeeded in like Hollywood or something. Like the fact that he's, mm-hmm. he's been so successful in this career for like 60 years now is all the proof yeah. you need of that. Right. But he doesn't take that path at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason why he doesn't take that path, at least he will say that the reason why he didn't take that path is because he hit a kid with his car. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Did you know that he hit a kid with his car? I did not. Did oh, the kid man. survive? Uh, yeah, probably. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like we'll another ta- dark turn. Here. Yeah, yeah. He, we're, we're, well, I always love talking about when people hit kids with their cars yeah. usually it turns out better than it did for george bush's wife um, yeah which is <laughs> look look that one up kids Ugh. she killed a kid um probably on purpose i mean that's just a <laughs> that's just a, a a blatant accusation with no no evidence behind it but mm. it's always i love talking about that is it w, w's wife or was it uh w's H- wife yeah w's, w's wife. wife she killed uh. her ex-boyfriend with a car when she was a teenager Oh wow! People don't talk about that. Wow! (laughs) (laughs) Gotta bring that back into circulation. (laughs) But you know who doesn't hit children with their cars often? (laughs) No, (laughs) the products and services that support this podcast. Oh yes, yeah. uh, Very very rarely, I will say. (laughs) Yeah, that's if they do, they apologize. Exactly. This is all you read. It. That's almost word for word what's written on the ad document. (laughs) Yeah. So, uh, listen to these products that almost certainly won't hit children with their cars. 
The evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild minigames. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums, delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches, unique playing pieces, and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no Spice Girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered. For just being me. Amy Winehouse. Back to Black. Directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R. Under 17. Not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year, equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash news. That's LifeLock.com slash news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snag a Job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. We're back. Oh my hey. gosh. What a what a product. Okay, so let's talk about the time that Jim Baker hit a kid with his car. So, uh, I'm going to quote again from the book PTL, uh which has a good description of this. Um, the turning point in his religious life, as Baker later remembered it, was when he ran over three-year-old Jimmy Summerfield. Baker had just dropped off Sandy Tires, who's the girl he was dating, at her home and was pulling up to church on a snowy Sunday Wait, night. Wait, Sandy Sandy Tires? 
I think so. Yeah, that's a cool name. That is a cool name. Yeah, <laughs> Sandy tires. Sandy right. tires. Yeah, uh, and was pulling up to church on a snowy Sunday night. He was driving his father's fifty-two Cadillac with his cousin George in the seat next to him when he felt a bump. The boy had <laughs> slid down a snowbank in front of the car. The front tire rolled over his chest, crushing his collarbone and puncturing a lung. At first, Baker despaired that the boy might die, but miraculously, he survived without debilitating injuries. The miracle of Summerfield's recovery, Baker would later say, convinced him to attend Bible college. Now, this is a story wow. that Jim would go on to tell repeatedly for the rest of his life, and it definitely happened. He totally hit that kid with a car, mm-hmm. but Jim also would go on to lie about it repeatedly, and in a very specific way. Um, so, in his first autobiography, published in 1976, Jim claimed that the incident happened in his senior year of high school, and this obviously works well for structuring a narrative, so we can claim that, like, oh, I was a DJ, I was doing all this, mm-hmm. this stuff, throwing all these parties and events and stuff, I was on track to, like, go into Hollywood or go to New York or whatever, and then, you know, I, I, I'm there at this tragedy, I hit this kid, and seeing this boy survive miraculously, like, forces me, uh, turns my soul over to God, mm-hmm. um, and he claims that, like, after this happened, he quit all of the artsy stuff he'd been into. DJing dances and throwing parties and whatever and started focusing on the Bible. But this is a lie because the crash occurred in 1956, two years before he graduated, and he continued making his variety show, DJing, going to parties and entertaining people for the rest of his time that he was in high school. Um, There's zero evidence that this event led to uh, some sort of instant transformation in his life. Sure, maybe it was like bubbling under the surface and it eventually... Mm -hmm. But he didn't... He lies about the way that this all works in a way that is pretty understandable to people who study this kind of christian grifter like they all mm-hmm. every they all need a story like this you know i was yep. i was on this bad path and then this thing happened and it turned me over to god mm-hmm. um so yeah th- this is jim's thing right uh, cuz he can't obviously like it, honestly if you if you're if you're a modern day version of this guy you lean into the fact that you were abused as a kid or whatever and you tell that story but jim doesn't like you know can't really square with that and so he turns to this other story about hitting a kid with his car and claims that that's what what switched him over um so yeah i don't know that's what he what he does and he goes to north central bible college in minneapolis where he meets a young woman named tammy Faye lavalle in 1960 now baker had a restaurant in the department store uh at the college and tammy worked nearby she was the oldest of eight children Uh, who grew up in a rural home with no indoor plumbing. The two fell instantly in love and dropped out of college together after their third date. Uh, They decided that they didn't need any more book learning, and they were going to be traveling evangelists. So that's an important aspect of Jim Baker's thing, is he starts going to school to learn how to be a Bible professional, and he drops the fuck out. And uh, he will later claim had never actually read the Bible when he started doing this. Uh, (laughs) He just starts crisscrossing the United States uh, with Tammy. And during this period, it's important to understand, the rural United States particularly, and like a lot of the South, was regularly crisscrossed by this dense network of of revival preachers. Uh, These were charismatic evangelical con men, grifters who gathered huge groups of worshipers together under colorful tents or hosted special preaching sessions at large local churches. Most of these preachers were men, but there were also a number of popular husband and wife couples. There was even a small child, Marjo Gortner, whose parents trained him like a monkey and had him reciting marriage ceremonies from rote when he was four or five years old. Um, There's a really amazing documentary about Marjo that covers this whole subculture, this like evangelical preacher grift traveling thing um and the movie's just called marjo it won an oscar it's great people should watch it if they want to understand kind of the the what baker comes up in jim and tammy baker like make this their life um 
and they're they're good at it. You know, they Jim has an innate talent for show business and a desperate need for approval. So he was really good at performing. Um, his only weakness was that he couldn't sing for shit. And his wife Tammy had a beautiful voice and could play the accordion. So they were really a perfect match together. Perfect. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah it's, this works out great. Uh, so the two stood out enough from the pack that starting in the early 1960s, they were able to get a gig with one of the very first names in Christian television, the Reverend Pat Robertson. There we go. Yeah, here's old Pat. So Pat had formed the Christian Broadcasting Network in 1960, which is the same year that Jim and Tammy met. And prior to the existence of the CBN, evangelical preachers had been dominant voices on the radio. The mid-60s sparked the first great wave of American televangelists, though. Guys with names like Rex Humbard and Oral Roberts harangued their flocks with stories of an active and physically present devil. They warned of Christ's imminent arrival any day now and taught that the Bible had to be believed literally in order to avoid God's wrath. So these are these are the folks that Jim and Tammy, these are like the 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 heroes right, of their of their era. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this is great. Yeah. So Tammy and Jim created a children's puppet show for the CBN. It was a hit, and they were contracted to start another show, the very first Christian talk show in history. Um, now, this was not a very a particularly original idea. Jim, at the time, basically just said, I want to do the Johnny Carson show, but for Jesus. Um, <laughs> and that's that's basically what they did. Uh, as John Wigger writes in PTL, quote, Jim and Tammy created their own unique style, often doing two hours or more of live, unscripted television a day in front of a studio audience. Viewers came to believe that they were part of PTL mission and the drama of Jim and Tammy's personal life. The Bakers became their friends and PTL their extended family. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> All part of it. Yeah. 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 So this works out really well. And that, that family, Vic, that extended family mm-hmm. would come to include, I'm just going to call him America's greatest hero, Colonel Sanders. Oh, uh, yes. Uh, yeah, yeah. Now, you've done a whole video about this, Vic, so you don't need to hear it again. Right. But you, the listener, need to hear Colonel Sanders and his friend laboriously tell Jim Baker about Colonel Sanders' fecal matter. Just gives it a little too much detail. <laughs> Astounding detail. And when you think it's over, it goes a little it keeps deeper. It going. This yeah. is going to be like three minutes. <laughs> and the... Uh, listener, you need to know as we play this that the whole time this is going on, there's an absolutely massive bucket of KFC right in the middle of the room. It's awesome. This is such a good moment in history. All right, we're going to play the clip now. Four or five years ago, as observation, I was going to be prepared for operation for taking a, a, a polyp out of the big colon. Mm-hmm. And that's the forerunner of a cancer, you see. Brother Rogers happened to leave in the church, uh, come into my room, and before he left, I well, would have a pastoral prayer, and I love that. We laid his hand on. I told him how simple the operation going to be. They just rip the skin there, you know, and cold and it was right before he pick out. He laid his hand on my stomach in the prayer and prayed to God that He'd remove the malady that caused my trouble. Next morning, when they opened up, they had more polyp there than anything in the world. I remembered I remembered when it passed but I didn't think they they give you an enema the next morning to get to bury them all out of the cold you know for the surgery and I remember during that discharge of that burial but I heard something going plunk in the commode well of course it was milking and I couldn't see what it was and I just feel it might be some fecal matter out of the 
wrinkle of the cold, you see. And lo and behold, after finding nothing there, why there's nothing but the Lord's work. Took, Praise took God. that pulled away. Wow. Hallelujah. Brother mm. <laughs> Rogers, do you, do you remember that situation? I sure do remember that, Jim. Uh, this uh, polyp had uh, blocked the colonel's bowels, and, um, and he was a well, very sick man. It was quite large then. Yes, it was quite large, and the physician went ahead and performed the surgery, but when he performed the surgery, he couldn't find the growth, and he searched in the intestine uh, 10 inches both ways and couldn't find it. And of course, when you operate on someone as famous as Colonel Sanders, and it looks like it's been a mistake, well, the doctor is quite upset. And the, um, the head of the surgical review board happened to be a famous surgeon who was a member of, of Evangel Tabernacle. Mm. He knew what had happened. But the Jewish attorney who performed the surgery didn't know really that, that it was a miracle of God and that God had healed him. And mm. so the colonel uh, told him, he said, well, God has healed me. And said, that's the reason. And said, I'm not mad at you uh, for performing the surgery because he was doing what he thought was right, of course. But uh, God had beat him to it. Okay, we're back, and I hope you all, I hope you all really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> Plopping in the commode. <laughs> Plopping in the commode. <laughs> it's so detailed, and, and that's. And I've never of, heard that like the the wrinkle of the colon. I've never like you yeah, heard that like, never. term. <laughs> <laughs> never. I hope I never hear it again. Actually, no. <laughs> but this is like the, this thing that we're making fun of the fact that he is this is just an old man talking talking the way I, you know I I have heard elderly people talk in that detail about mm-hmm. bowel movements before and it's always been like family members you know right. <laughs> right. And, and, and that's kind of what Wigger's talking about when you're talking about what makes PTL special is mm-hmm. that this was something this the, like people sitting at home in fucking you know bumfuck wherever in the middle mm-hmm. of nowhere and they're like it did this did make them feel like part of the family because right. they've they're, got an old guy talking about there. his power right. movements yeah. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah exactly yeah there's no nobody's polished in this nobody seems uh uh like a celebrity or anything like they feel right. like your friends and family and that you know it's kind of like uh it's kind of like a big part of like what makes modern you know youtube celebrities and podcast hosts and whatnot um so attractive to their audiences is that they're they're just living their lives on camera um mm-hmm. like that that is now a thing that is a dominant aspect of our culture people make millions of dollars doing that and it's everybody's got pretty much got someone in that vein um that they love but you know jim and tammy there's a lot of talk about how you know influential they were in the history of like televangelism but just in the history of like normal media like they really predict something that is kind of the modern wave of our culture um i think that's Mm -hmm. pretty interesting um yeah so the jim and tammy show evolved over the next few years into an increasingly professional production like jim's old variety shows there were a number of different acts uh there would be theological lectures by jim and guest preachers musical acts emotional stories of falls from grace and salvation and of course there were regular pleas for donations uh jim and tammy switched from pat robertson's network to trinity broadcasting network in 1974 they picked up a new name too, the ptl club and depending on who gives the answer ptl stands for praise the lord or people that love or to their critics pass the loot yep. <laughs> yeah <laughs> and pto grew into an extravagant affair which buzzfeed describes ably in this write-up quote 
Jim and Tammy Faye acted as hosts to famous ministers and artists like Billy Graham, Oral Roberts, Mickey Rooney, and Mr. T. On each episode, <laughs> they would enter the stage to rapturous applause, holding hands and waving to their fans. On set, the couple would be flanked by a full choir on one side and a backing band on the other. The spotlights were bright, often reflecting the shine off Jim Baker's forehead, the iridescent highlighter surrounding Tammy Faye's big, big eyes, and the shiny tears bleeding down her cheeks as she sang or backed up Baker's religious testimony. Baker would speak slowly, his cadence even and just slow enough to draw viewers in, making them feel as though he and Tammy Faye were delivering private messages to them sent directly from God. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> this is good. <laughs> this is all good. And it should be noted, um, you're going to expect, I think, in a story about this kind of guy, especially someone who's going into a major Trump surrogate, some tales of racism. That does not appear to have been a factor. And in fact, PTL was renowned for having a, a huge, being very popular among black people, having a large black audience. Mm. And also, like, one of their most popular guests was a former Black Panther who would talk about, like, getting into shootouts with the cops and stuff. Sure. Um, like, they, they, they were from the beginning really good at um i guess you would just broadly say not being racist so right, good for right. you Jim and Tammy. yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that is one yeah. thing they were yeah. accepting of others because i mean yeah. i guess they like anybody that has money too that's the yes other, yes uh, that <laughs> but uh but i know like, the only Tammy color Fe- they see or, is green yeah right. <laughs> or t- i know tammy sue was uh very supportive of um, the gay community, like later in her years. Later, too. they oh, were was it not very, early though. No, they were profoundly homophobic. Oh, okay, it's, homosexuality is evil. It is the devil. They talked okay. about that frequently on their show. In this period, we'll talk Ooh, about okay. a okay. little bit about. Yeah, th- that happened <laughs> much later. That is not okay. happening now. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, One of the things that separated PTL from other shows of the same format was, again, the unpolished nature of the content. No matter how dressed up like the set got, um, the focus of the day was always just Jim and Tammy and whatever they wanted to talk about. And they talked about real issues, drug abuse, uh, depression, exercise, diet, anxiety, like their own struggles with all those things. These were all regular topics. And this realism, yeah, like kind of Mm -hmm. foreshadowed reality TV as well in some ways. Sure. Yeah. the show's other piece of brilliance was Jim's decision to broadcast on a satellite network. This was groundbreaking at the time. ESPN didn't even start broadcasting satellite until 1979, uh, a year after the PTL show did. Satellite allowed Christian programming to reach people all over the world, even folks in very isolated rural areas who would otherwise not really have access to TV at all. PTL started selling airtime to other churches and built up a whole network of Christian content. No one had ever done this before. So... Yeah, they start as just the Jim and Tammy show, and it turns into like this network with a very large and dedicated cult following. Um, Jim was smart enough to lean into this, too. He began airing testimonials from viewers at the ends of episodes. The book PTL highlights one from 1979. Quote, A woman in her 20s or 30s smiles at the camera and says that having PTL in her home was like friends being there. When other people couldn't, I know PTL would be there every day. Baker ended his shows by looking right at the camera, smiling and telling his viewers, God loves you. He really does. So (laughs) really leaning into speaking to the lonely, making Mm -hmm. the lonely his audience and then getting pumping them for cash. That's the PTL strategy. Right. And Jim Baker knows how to reach lonely people because he's a profoundly lonely man. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's. (laughs) Good. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yes. God. Yeah. Yeah. Um. 
awesome. So from 1974 to 1977, the PTL network grew from three TV stations to more than 200. Uh, in 1979, it made one and a half million dollars a month. By 1985, it was making more than $10 million a month. They started experimenting with foreign networks and different local hosts, and the money brought changes. In 1976, they went from renting a single studio to buying a 25-acre compound and constructing a $3 million church and recording studio upon it. By doing this, PTL almost immediately pushed itself well beyond its financial means. But this was fine and actually part of Jim's intention. See, Jim's particular brand of Pentecostalism had a strong entrepreneurial bent to it. We call it the prosperity gospel today. And Jim is Mm -hmm. kind of part of an ancillary chunk of that. If something was meant to succeed in this particular branch of the faith, God would make the numbers work. So like, you don't worry about not being able to afford something. Um, you leap into things that you can't afford to do, and you trust that God will find a way to to, to, to right. make it possible. And if you're doing things like try to be like, okay, well, no, we can't afford it. We can only afford a $5 million church now, so let's build that now. And if we need to expand later, we can. That's actually sacrilegious. Like mm. because you're not trusting that you God, trust will, God is going to exactly. take care of you, right? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. Like yeah, um, we got to get the bigger uh, private jet, you know. So yeah, just, exactly. It'll, it'll, it'll make it work for us. <laughs> if yeah. I was just buying first class flights, that would be <laughs> angering God. He wants right. me to. <laughs> like that, that's literally right. the theology. It's <laughs> kind of fucking brilliant, uh-huh. <laughs> and I want to steal it. Like right. I, I do think I could probably if I. If I really committed, I could reinvent mm. myself as an evangelical preacher. You know, I could I could claim that I, I learned oh, my lesson from all the drug yeah. abuse and, and right. all of the yeah. I think yeah, I exactly. could do it. One hundred. And then you start going. You, then yeah. you start going. You go bankrupt, and you tell your followers, "I'm going bankrupt. Yeah. I need money. Help me out. Help me out." You know. Yeah, and yeah. the worst, I mean, the uh, the best thing about it is, like, I could really, the worst things that I would, that I do on my fall from grace, the better I become at being a preacher later. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no, there's no floor. It's, it really rules. Um, so that's, anyway, that's my retirement plan. Um, buckle in for that, folks. It's going to be a ride. Uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, literally in a you know, jumbo jet. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah. When Jim Baker gives his own histories of PTL during this time, it's full of stories where like the church would need to make a hundred thousand dollars in a weekend, otherwise they were going to go bankrupt, and then suddenly mm. a bunch of donations would flood in. And he he leaned into this. In nineteen seventy seven he wrote Some people think you need plenty of money in the bank before you can begin to operate in faith. I never have. Are you currently debating over taking a step of faith in the Lord, or are you waiting until it looks safe to move? Remember, facts don't count when you have God's word on the subject. (laughs) (laughs) Which is the essential part of why... This like liberal obsession with like facts matter and and you know trying to mm-hmm. argue or fact check or convince it will never work. Right. <laughs> it right. will never ever work. They don't care. It and it doesn't matter how many of them get diseases like crowding into churches and stuff. Like mm-hmm. that's not what this is about. <laughs> right. And you're playing the wrong game. Um it's about stopping people from falling into these weird cults like and and helping them get out but convincing them will never happen arguing mm-hmm. with them will never work this right. is this is the facts don't matter it's god's word on the subject that's what we're fucking dealing with here um and it's awesome and good so 
As essentially the CEO of his own TV network, Jim never let facts get in his way. On one occasion, when his network found itself owing $20,000 with nothing in the bank, he wrote a bad check and sent it off to the station manager. Enough money came in the next day to cover the balance, so Jim kept on doing the same thing. And he would tell this story openly to people. Um, And he would claim it as like, look at how good God is, look at how great, you know, my faith is that I was willing to do this. But he was just writing bad checks. (laughs) Like, Like you're so brave. Come on. Like, uh, which is a crime. (laughs) Which is absolutely a crime. This is check fraud. He just got lucky. Um, But yeah, he bragged regularly about check fraud. Um, And he would always leave out the fact that like this wasn't, he wasn't really just throwing himself into the wind and trusting in faith. He always had telethons planned for the day that he would write these bad checks. So he uh, knew that the money was going to come in. He had a pretty mm-hmm. good understanding of how much he could bring in. But the fact that he was just throwing himself on God's mercy, you know, that 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 drew people to him. That was part of the fucking appeal. That was part of the, the grift. So, yeah. It's good. Um, yeah, and and it's awesome. And Jim's message to his followers by doing stuff like this was that in their own lives, financial caution was an act of religious heresy. And even if they couldn't afford it, they should keep throwing money at Jim Baker and his, mm-hmm. his operation, which they did. At the end of 1977, he wrote a short book titled The Big Three Mountain Movers. Now, it was angled as a book of, like, biblical financial advice and the like. He told his flock that God wanted them to have money and would provide it, but they had to provide God with testaments of faith first. And this was essentially, this was not an original idea for Jim. This was an evolution of the ideas that Oral Roberts um, had, had started. And Roberts was maybe the greatest preacher of this era. We'll have to do an episode on him at some point. His great innovation was the idea of seed money which is money that you pay Oral Roberts that unlocks God's blessings. <laughs> so the idea of seed money is you want something, you need something, you're broken, you're desperate, you know, you can't make the mortgage, you can't make rent. You take all of the money you have and rather than like using it to buy food or trying to like set up a payment plan, you th- you give that to Oral Roberts or whatever <laughs> preacher is telling you and that God will see that um that expression of faith and he will turn that expression of faith into a seed that grows a tree that will return more money to you. And that's because like oral has a direct connection to God. Is that what yeah, that is? Yeah. 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 I mean, essentially the idea mm-hmm. is that uh, that's what it evolved into is that like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I, I have such a great connection to God. I think initially it was just this idea that like, if you, if you prove to God that you really trust him by throwing all this money at his church and not thinking of your own financial needs, he will take care of you, you know? Mm. Okay. So that's good and healthy and <laughs> Sounds cool. legit, yeah. Sounds legit. <laughs> and this becomes the fundamental idea behind the prosperity gospel, which is today one of the most, I mean, all of the preachers Trump surrounds him with are, oh, are yeah. prosperity. His, his religious advisor Paula tells her White. flock, yeah, you have yeah. to donate your first month's salary to my yep. church every year. Like, even yeah. if you can't afford it, because that's how you prove. Do you know prove- who she's married to? She's oh married? yeah, yeah. Fun, yeah. One of the some fucking one of the musicians from what is it? Um, yeah, yeah. From Journey. Journey. Yeah. Journey. Yeah, like the guy that wrote all the hit songs. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Wow. Uh, <laughs> that's a real bummer because I have uh-huh. some great memories of drunkenly singing Journey in streetcars. Right, but right. <laughs> what a sad, uh, sad tale. <laughs> 
we should we should execute people once they make a great song. Just right. get them out of there. Don't let them ruin anything. Just right. like Just hey, ruin man, our memories. Yesterday's a great tune. Into the chamber you go. Come on. <laughs> oh my goodness, Any last words, Paul? <laughs> yeah. That's where you draw oh, the no. line. That's where last you draw words, the hey, line. Jude. All right, let him write one more song. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh you know who else supports mandatory executions for great artists? Nope. nope. <laughs> they don't, nope, Sophie? Nope. Nope. Oh, I, well, this is an ad plug. Here's products. <laughs> the evidence keeps pouring in. At this point, the facts are undeniable. It's an open and shut case. Monopoly Go is the most fun you can have in a mobile game. Millions of people pass Go every day because this game is always bringing something new to the table. Countless crazy tournaments you can join with your friends as partners or teams. Constantly changing challenges like money sprees or treasure hunts that keep it fresh with new wild mini-games. Timed events offering bonuses like massive multipliers or rent frenzies to help you get huge rewards. And there's so many rewards to discover. Rare stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums. Delightful emojis to taunt people with when you raid their riches. Unique playing pieces and so much more. The verdict is in with Monopoly Go. There's something new to discover every time you play. So don't miss out. Go download it now for free on the App Store and Google Play. Me. Focus Features presents Back to Black. I want people to hear my voice and just forget their troubles. Experience the music and her story. Know this. I ain't no spy girl. Like never before. That's my daughter. That's my Amy. On the big screen. I want to be remembered for just being me. Amy Winehouse, Back to Black, directed by Sam Taylor Johnson. Rated R, under 17, not a minute without parent. Only in theaters May 17th. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. My favorite spring cleaning takeaway is the post-clean clarity you get. Wow, how have I been living like this? It's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless, when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. Wow, how have I been affording this? It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. Say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills, and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. 
Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash behind. That's mintmobile.com slash behind. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash behind. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. We're back! So... Uh, we're talking about the prosperity gospel, you know, which is a, a child of Oral Roberts. And Roberts was a, a regular guest on the PTL club. And Baker shamelessly stole his idea for promising godly people blessings in exchange for cold hard cash. Uh, he'd held telethons before, but in the late 60s and early 70s, they'd been pretty normal. Kind of like the stuff you see on NPR, you know, or whatever. Not NPR, but like public television. Like, you know, where they'll do these regular fundraising drives, give us money and we can keep doing this. That right. was how it started. Jerry it Lewis. evolved, though. Yeah, yeah. He, like It was pretty normal at first, and it evolved into him promising his audience that they would get rich by making him rich. In 1978, he harangued his viewers, many of you have never given because you really don't trust God. Mm-hmm. Um, and they were regular, like, one of the terms you'll hear a lot in these kind of preachers is prove God by doing this, by this donation. Like, you prove the existence of God uh. by throwing us money. It, it's... It seems profoundly sacrilegious to me, an atheist, but what do I know? (laughs) What what the fuck do I know? Um, So he promised that God would reward their donations a hundredfold, uh, and he would also throw eternal life into the deal uh, and said things like, I mean, that's about the best deal I've ever heard in my life. (laughs) You get rich and you live forever. All you got to do is give me your rent money. Um, fucking awesome that this is legal i can't i can't yeah. overstate what a good thing it is that this is fine <laughs> god bless united states yeah we're a perfect society mm-hmm. so bill perkins an administrator for ptl resigned his position in 1978 after he grew disturbed by the fact that money seemed to be growing increasingly central to the decisions that jim baker made so a lot of the people who like sign up with him early on will say that this was a legitimate religious enterprise at first and baker really believed hard and it it, it turned into a grift and that made mm-hmm. that's probably true like i i'm not an expert on it i'm so critical i guess of all of these guys that it's hard for me to believe jim baker ever had good intentions but he may he he may have a lot of people believed he did and there were folks in the 70s who were like you have changed and i can't be a part of this anymore right well i mean especially earlier on going after you know uh doing the puppet shows and everything sure yeah seems pretty you know pretty legit yeah i have trouble believing that the puppet shows were a grift you know nobody grifts (laughs) with puppets hopefully he wasn't asking the kids to mail money to him no no um and and perkins later claimed quote jim baker had a knack with a microphone and i think he began with good intentions but he let Power and money get to his head. Now, Mr. Perkins later told the New York Times about the moment he realized that something had changed with Jim. Quote, Jim used to quote from Psalms 37, 4, delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give ye the desires of thine heart. Uh, I argue that the scripture does not mean worldly wealth and fame or fancy cars or big houses, Mr. Perkins said. It means inner peace and joy. The desires ought to be God's desires, not man's. Mr. Baker's defiant response, said Mr. Perkins, was to quote another bit of scripture, which he intended to end the conversation. Touch not God's anointed and do his prophets no harm. So... (laughs) 
Jim has uh, had a bit of a change at this point. <laughs> you could say it's gone to his head. You know, whether right. however he started, he is now calling himself a prophet and using that to shut down debate with his loyal <laughs> followers. So that's not a great thing. <laughs> no, not at all. Um, although I am going to get that tattooed on my chest, uh, and I'll just I will just point to it defiantly when Sophie tells me not to swing machetes around in the recording studio. Sure, I, I, I do. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Touch not God's anointed. You know, do his prophets no harm when they're doing harm by recklessly endangering the recording studio. Whether or not he was a prophet, Jim was definitely profitable, which is a line I was proud of. Um, so I'm thank proud you. of it too, well Robert. Done. Good thank job. Thank you. Well thank you. Thank you. I desperately need praise uh, <laughs> as I as I grow into the cult leader that Jim Baker has convinced me I can become. Oh my god! So, <laughs> and by the way, if you want to really prove your faith in the Lord, why don't you send two hundred dollars to bastards behind the bat? Just nope. put it in the mail. No. Nope. Address an envelope. Nope. <laughs> Sophie, this is the only way. <laughs> By the end of 1978, uh, revenue was more than $4 million a month, and expenses were only around a million. So on paper, that's a pretty pretty solvent business, right? Mm-hmm. Not bad. <laughs> yeah. You would think that you could you could do a lot of ministering with that kind mm-hmm. of a, a, a All tax-free, too, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. all tax-free. Yeah. Um, and for a while, Baker pumped the extra money into funding new shows and new hosts and local content in different communities around the country and around the world. And it looked like he was building PTL into the Christian equivalent of 21st Century Fox. Like, there's a period where it looks like, oh, my God, Jim is going to create like a media empire on par with any of the major networks, on par with something like, yeah, 21st Century Fox. Um, But then just as he's like on his way to becoming the prosperity gospel's Rupert Murdoch, he suddenly pulls away and heads in a completely different direction. Do you know what this direction is, Vic? Uh, I think I do. I think think he was watching uh, what uh, Walt Disney was up to. Yeah, he decides to become Christian Walt Disney. Um, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, which is an interesting move. Um, In 1978, uh, the Bakers broke ground on Heritage USA. Uh, Now, this was Jim Baker's most ambitious plan yet, and it would eventually become the third most popular amusement park in the United States, right after Disneyland and Disney World. So this is a huge amusement park. Yeah. (laughs) God. Yeah, built on 1,200 acres of Carolina land, Heritage USA was initially planned as almost a whole enclosed Christian society built in the twin images of Jim Baker and Walt Disney. As planning went along, Jim's ambitions expanded. He wanted it to include a university, a day school, a campground, and even a hospital and a nursing home. The whole estimated bill for this was well over $100 million of 1978 money. Um <laughs> Baker wanted the main work done in less than six months, which was just rank lunacy. Um, He failed to secure the $50 million loan he needed to make his dreams come true, so Baker reigned in his faith and started small, promising the construction company that PTL would fall no further than $500,000 in payments behind during the construction. Um, (laughs) Which is like... It's incredible. They were like, yeah, you can be half a million dollars in debt to us, and that's fine. Um, And and he can't even stick to that. By month three, they had blown past that by a factor of four and owed more than $2 million to the company. And this calamity was all caused by Jim Baker. Um, Soon, the finances of the network were in absolute crisis. PTL started laying off employees and making up the shortfall in labor by calling for Saturday work sessions, which were unpaid. 
Employees were told that showing up to work for free would be a vivid illustration of who was committed to God and who was not. Oh my God! I didn't know. I didn't know he fleeced his own workers too. Oh, he I... sure as shit did. Oh my <laughs> gosh! Yeah, he absolutely. He's a big fan of unpaid labor, uh, which there are other terms for, but I have forgotten them. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Now, at the same time all this was happening, Baker talked the board of his company into tripling his salary. Uh, he argued that basically, um, who was the, the fucking big guy at the time? Uh, the, the, the Johnny Carson. He was like, Johnny, Carson, I work yeah. harder than Johnny Carson, and he makes more than me. Like, mm-hmm. what the fuck's up with that? Yeah. So they triple his salary, and at the same time as they triple his salary, they stop reporting on the church's finances to the press. This had, They had once been a very open operation that would tell you, like, mm-hmm. where their money was going and being used on, and they just suddenly stopped doing that. Uh, and this has no effect on their followers. Money continues pouring into the Baker pockets and increasing denominations. When Jim needed to look magnanimous, he would write letters to the board and demand that they cut his salary by 40%. And then he'd use company money to buy himself fancy rich guy toys. From the book Mm. PTL, only three weeks later, he, this is after firing a bunch of people, he uh-huh. used $6,000 of PTL's money for a down payment on a houseboat, a 43-foot drifter with two bedrooms, a kitchen, bathroom, television, and gas grill. The total price for that houseboat was $30,000. So, <laughs> at the same time Jim bought that boat, he's writing letters to his flock, begging them for donations, and telling his workers that they have to work for free. And the the terms he would use in these, like, pleas for money from his followers were imminent and apocalyptic. Unless God performs a financial miracle, this could be the last letter you receive from me. So, like, this is these are the kind of <laughs> things he's putting in his. Yeah, he whined about the two and a half million dollar construction bill as if it had like something that had suddenly been slammed upon them, rather than them <laughs> deliberately going over budget. Right. Uh, he lied that Tammy and I are giving every penny of our life savings to PTL. And again, this is the same month that he uses PTL's money to buy a houseboat. <laughs> so. <laughs> This is total grift by this point, uh-huh. right? Uh, totally. If it was, yeah. By 1981, Jim and Tammy had a thoroughly acclimated to their new lives as hideously wealthy monuments to God's generosity. Here's a clip from one of their episodes in 1981 that really lays the whole prosperity gospel thing out. And I think this one may be new to you because this just—I mean, there's thousands mm-hmm. of hours of this. No one can listen to all of it. Right. But I'm going to play this. Um, I'm going to send you this clip, and I want awesome. you to, yeah. Well, um, here, I'm going to shoot this to you via Skype, and then I'll tell you the timestamps. Cool. We've got to start enjoying God again. I really do. I think we need to say, Lord, look at this beautiful lake out here. I look out this window here and I see that blue sky today and I see the beautiful water. And I say, Lord, you made that lake for me to enjoy. Jim, can I tell you a little miracle? I I just want to tell you a little people a little miracle about what happened with this house. We shouldn't have this house. That is really the honest truth because in in all human uh, when you think of it in the human pro- aspect, it was impossible for us to ever get this home at all. And I had prayed, and I had said, now, Lord, you know, Jim and I had to, we had to have a new home. We needed to be out of our old one and within, like, three weeks, and it was yeah. just, just didn't know what to do. We were just, and I said, oh, God, you know, I said, I couldn't figure out if I wanted a swimming pool or a lake. But I knew we'd never had either, and I wanted one, please, Lord. So I said, well, Lord, I don't know what to ask we for. We needed so water. You, yeah, so I said, you give us what will make us happy. I knew we couldn't swim in the pool, you know, in the, in the winter, and yet I, I knew we could see the lake all year round, so I couldn't make up my mind. And you know what God did? He said, I want you to have both of them. And he gave us a beautiful pool out there, plus the lake out back, too, Jim. Isn't that just like the Lord? Mm. 
Yeah. Oh. <laughs> swimming pool or a lake. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> swimming pool or a lake. <laughs> we need water. We know we need water. Yeah. We know we need water. <laughs> yeah. I wow. Okay. Love it. Yeah. yeah. Just, Isn't that just awesome? so open about it? Just <laughs> yeah, like she's so open and about no it. No one bats an eye. They're, you know, they're, like why didn't that, why didn't everybody just get up and walk out? Like, like yeah, after hearing that, because this is how God works. He yeah. wants you to have this. He wants right. all of you to have this. <laughs> we, I, I think, people talk a lot when they like complain about you know the lack of like class consciousness in the United States. How um, every poor American thinks of themselves as like a temporarily embarrassed millionaire. Mm-hmm. This really illustrates what that means emotionally. These people don't hate. You would think they would hate like people like mm-hmm. in the, in the fucking seventies. It's like stagflation is hitting and like the economy is in the shitter and they live in the middle of nowhere and like the Japanese economy is eating U.S. manufacturing alive and people right. are like out of work and and pop- seeing this person talk about like we just couldn't decide between and God provided us with a swimming pool and a lake. You would think right. that would infuriate them. But, it, but, but it's just like it hasn't hit them yet or it hasn't, you know, God hasn't touched them enough yet. So it's yeah. sending the checks in and then it'll yeah, happen. This will be their life. Right. It's only a matter of time. Something else. It's really <laughs> something else. But like, yeah, you have to understand how like blatant about it. Like they're not pretending to live humble lives yeah. here. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's awesome. Um, now, <laughs> yeah, so this is good. For her part, Tammy Faye seems to have had trouble with, with some aspects of the, um, the gigantic grifty nature of all of this. She started taking massive doses of Valium for stress and became horribly addicted to a variety of, 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 of drugs. Uh, she and Jim both put on weight, uh, because again, I think they are losing their souls and becoming monsters. Uh, And they start taking off that weight with what would become a a series of different diet and weight loss programs. And they talk about all of this openly on their show, their successes and failures and challenges. And of course, then they're able to like advertise for different like diet programs and stuff and books. And yeah, yeah, it's for me, you know, (laughs) it always works for them. Uh So the whole situation could have stayed this way probably forever if Jim Baker had been capable of even mild amounts of self-control. But he was not. Uh, PTL's <laughs> content was dictated almost entirely by his impulses, which is kind of the same thing with Alex Jones today. Um, he would regularly announce new initiatives, new product lines, new tele- new shows for on his network live on the air. And then like his crew would have to live figure out how to like meet these things that he was introducing <laughs> and like make them work. And this was part of the show's charm and dynamism. It was part of why he was successful. But it also led to gigantic problems, like Jim doubling the size of Heritage USA while huge amounts of it were still under construction. Um, you know, committing to building a 500-room hotel in a water park and, you know, then needing to find more money. Um, so Jim would flog his viewers mercilessly for more donations. Uh, as former PTL security chief Don Hardister recalled, quote, we had a cash office and at times there was certainly more money in it than I could imagine. People would send us mink coats, diamond rings, deeds i mean we got all sorts of donations (laughs) it's fucking wild that this works it's just the most artless grift in the world and that's why it works Uh, it's fucking amazing to me like l ron hubbard has to make a fucking religion to get your money and jim baker's just like no (laughs) just send me the deed to your fucking house i need another lake (laughs) i gotta build a hotel next to my lake (laughs) <laughs> it's fucking amazing. Need more water. <laughs> 
But it still wasn't enough. All this money wasn't enough. The demands of Baker's new empire were too high. And in the 1980s, he started asking his followers to pay $1,000 each for lifetime partnerships. Now, these lifetime partnerships would earn them a three-night stay at the new hotel that he built on his land. And on the surface, this could be a great idea. You know, it's basically a timeshare, but they barely get any time Mm -hmm. there and they pay a bunch of money. But Jim couldn't even abide by like, like this is a this could be a perfectly legal grift but Mm -hmm. jim had to break the law he vastly oversold these partnerships until he wound up with more partnerships than his hotel could possibly host in a year Sixty six thousand of them oh my Um, god (laughs) and again this is a 500 room hotel like you do the math (laughs) now Uh. there were other grifts too he started offering david and goliath statues to his viewers and he would tell them these were an investment because the statues were like works of art that were worth a thousand dollars each and he sold Uh them for just 125 dollars but they were really ten dollar pieces of like poorly crafted metal bullshit um it all works though he makes a shitload of money but he is now committing fraud like uh, up to this point he was really all within the lines of the law other than writing bad checks and they're never gonna like the money wound up being there so it's fine right Um, (laughs) had to push it though he has crossed a legal line now And all of this blatant fraud earned PTL the attention of the Charlotte Observer, a local newspaper that locked its teeth onto the legs of the Baker operation and held on for years. Like, they really... Mm. Some fucking world... They win a Pulitzer for this. Like, they they write... I th- like think probably like way over a thousand articles by the time this is all done. Oh, wow. Um, like they they tear into Baker and <sighs> like exhaustively detail every way in which he's breaking the law, every shady thing he's doing. Um, it's 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 a great thing that they do, but they didn't catch everything right away. And one of the things that they didn't catch when they started reporting on the financial crimes was the fact that Jim Baker committed an even worse crime in December of 1980. Have you heard about the rape that Jim Baker committed? Yeah, is this uh is this Jessica Hahn? Jessica Hahn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So Jessica had grown up, you know, in the church or in in the Pentecostal movement. She was 21 years old in 1980 and for her entire childhood basically Jim Baker had been her Mr. Rogers. He was the moral center of her universe. Like that is the way that she looked at him. Like he he mm-hmm. was he was a the right arm of God to her. Um and she was elated when she got a job as the church secretary, which basically seemed she basically was working as the baker's nanny, right? That was like a, right. a big part of her job. And one December day, when Tammy was out of the house conducting a telethon, Jim called her into the office. Han later told an interviewer, quote, Jim Baker comes up and says, forget about the kids. The bodyguards are outside the door. He said, listen to me, Jessica, when you help the shepherd, you help the sheep. And he said, my wife is having an affair with the choir director, and I need you right now to make me feel like a man. And I was a virgin, and people find that hard to believe, but when you're raised in the church at 14 on, that was just the way it is. Um, Now... Baker wasn't alone. One of his employees, a guy named John Fletcher, was there too. Fletcher offered Han a drink, which had something, probably GHB in it. Uh, And Han didn't pass out, but she was in a very altered state when Baker made his move. Quote, so Jim Baker ripped off the bedspread and said, you know, my wife doesn't make me feel like a man anymore. And you know, when you help the shepherd, you help the sheep. And so it hurt like hell. And then after that, John Fletcher comes in, who was the middleman, and said, you know, you can't just be with Jim Baker. You've got to be with me. He threw me on the floor, head back. I had blood coming out of my back. And, you know, he just went nuts on me. 
Oh my god! So this god. is a horrific violation. Yeah, it. It, it, this is a horrific rape. Like this is holy shit. Not just like it's usually portrayed, even by kind of like mainstream news today. Like CNN did the interview, and like so a lot of mainstream mm-hmm. news did a good job of covering this. But like a lot of times they'll say like, you know, there were allegations that it was non consensual. There were allegations that this was a violent drug rape. <laughs> like this is wow. uh, as as bad a rape as as it gets. You know. Um, this is a, a horrific crime committed by Jim Baker and his guy, John Fletcher. So it's bad. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, now Jessica Hahn kept quiet for eight years because how the fuck, like God's right hand man is raped you. Like, what do you, right. how do you yeah, fucking yeah. begin no to process that? You, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's rough. Um, and Jim Baker paid her twenty thousand dollars of hush money up front, uh, which he told her was so she could get counseling. Uh, oh. He would eventually pay more than a quarter of a million dollars of church funds to Jessica Hahn. And that Vic is where we're going to end on part one. All right. How you how you feeling? <laughs> that's, that's a lot to take in there. Uh, yeah. it, this is a lot. I mean, <laughs> the story yeah. of Jim Baker is a lot. It's, it's been grifting a long time, you know. Yeah, and he's like the ultimate illustration of the the fact that like hurt people hurt people. Like this mm-hmm. kid, he, everything scans right. It's right. not hard to see. Oh, uh, God. Hmm. Yeah, I'm uh, curious because I don't. I guess nothing really came. I mean, I don't want to jump ahead here, but you know, but like, just curious about what happened with that rape. If that uh, if, like the bodyguard guy had to go to jail or anything like that, but. Oh no, he died before um Jessica uh, oh, uh did he? came forward. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So he really he really got, got off easy, yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah. also there's never criminal charges, I don't think, as a result of this. She doesn't like really press them, you know? Um, right, right. She comes out in the media about it later. Uh yeah. So yeah. well <laughs> yeah. F- fun story. Fun stuff. Fun story of the United <laughs> States, um, a country crafted in a lab to allow bad people to avoid consequences right. <laughs> exactly <laughs> yeah. oh my god uh it's fucking rules man vic right. where can people find you on the internet what are your what are you your can, plugables uh, you can check uh i would go to my youtube uh check my channel there uh, you can see all my uh, jim baker videos there and the endless amounts of donald trump videos and other oh, grifters yeah. uh, got a lot of a lot of stuff there uh um there you can go to twitter facebook you know just type my name in there i am there we are all yes. right check out vic um it's it's important uh uh beautiful horror uh i love it uh and check out me somewhere no one knows yeah. where no one's ever found me on the internet but the sure. legends say that if you if you hold a conch shell to your ear while standing on a frigid Oregon coastline in the dead of midwinter, you can sometimes hear me tweet. So. No. Nope. That's nope. Not, We're that's, done, Sophie. That's, that, that's not accurate. That is, I, I'm fairly certain that's accurate. That is not true. Okay, well, unfortunately, no one knows what the truth is, so we've just got to roll on and end the episode for the day. That's All right, well, fine. thanks for having me on. I uh, hope you... Uh, <laughs> Hope you get your cult together, you know, in retirement. Mm-hmm. Yeah, get we that will. Jet. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll donate. <laughs>
Do you dream of a healthier life, but education feels out of reach? Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School of Natural Health makes holistic education accessible with online programs to fit your busy schedule. Trinity School's Certified Natural Health Professional Program is the perfect entry point to gain foundational knowledge to empower yourself, your family, and your community to live healthier lives. Turn your passion into a career. Visit trinityschool.org for more info now. Rev up your thrills this summer at Cedar Point on the all-new Top Thrill 2. Drive the sky on the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch vertical speedway. And now, for a limited time, get more Cedar Point fun for less with our limited-time bundle for just $49.99. Get admission, parking, and all-day drinks for one low price. But you better hurry, because this bundle won't last long. Save now at cedarpoint.com. Whether you're a savvy spender maximizing your savings with cashback rewards, a thrifty rate watcher seeking the lowest interest, or a travel enthusiast looking for extraordinary perks, Kemba Financial Credit Union has a visa to complement your lifestyle and unique needs. Apply today at Kemba.org to unlock a limited-time 2% cashback on purchases. And pay 0% interest on balance transfers for an entire year with a new visa from Kemba. You deserve a card that works for you. Restrictions apply. Offer ends June 30th, 2024. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.